Why do people, why do people all the time, I don't understand this. Maybe you can help me with this. <clears throat> why do people, like when they smash their thumb and they, uh, something happens to them, they hurt, hurt themselves somehow, they always take Jesus' name. Right? Why do they do that? Why don't they pick on Muhammad? You ever hear anybody smash oh Muhammad? Never hear that, do you? You know? Never hear that. Never hear Buddha. Never hear anything. It's always the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Why do they pick on him? I mean, if, if he's not... I mean, I, I've heard atheists do that kind of stuff, you know? You ever hear atheists? Uh, I've, I've, heard, I've heard people say to be other people, they send them to hell. They say, oh yeah, man, you go to hell. You do this, right? They, they've said this kind of... Why not, why not nirvana? I mean, why do, they pick, why do they pick on stuff that is so real? And so why do they do that? Well, I, I think that uh, there's a passage of Scripture I'd like us to look at uh, two passages I'd like us to look at. And the first one I'd like us to look at is John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And the, the thing that I'd like us to look about this is the exclusivity of, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is what he has said. This is what he has said. And uh, my friend uh, Josh... Roberts, if you wouldn't mind just giving us John 14, verse 6, nice and clearly and loud and slowly. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other. There is no other person. There is no other God. There is no other that can beat God. Nobody. And this is what I love about being a Christian. There is no other. And I'd like to have my friend Tim, if he wouldn't mind looking at and reading for us the other passage that we're going to look at exclusively uh, tonight, and it's Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you'd read it for us, we'll follow with you silently. You read out loud. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my mouth or on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely goodness, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the 
night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they are writ- or they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would not be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay me, uh, slay the wicked, O Lord, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxiety. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is a powerful psalm. This is David talking. And this is really one of the best, this is a great psalm. I love this psalm very much, and we're going to discuss it tonight. Uh, I'll talk and maybe like to listen, but uh, we're going to look at it. And I know what potlucks do to us. I do. Maybe we should put the air conditioning on like 30 degrees. And uh, so, but so, here's what the thing, we look at this. David shows us four attributes David shows us four attributes of God, uh, and he shows us the reader in explaining his, David shows us these four attributes in explaining his relationship with God, that which, from which we can learn. Four attributes. You say, what attributes? So, okay, okay, okay. You might say, Chris, you're ugly, and you wouldn't be far from the truth. You know, my wife loves me, but I was a different man then. (laughs) Oh, hey, watch it. Okay. If we were to put bags over our heads, or we were totally blind, let's say all of us were blind, and we couldn't look at how pleasing or how ugly or that kind of thing we were, we would have to judge each other by our character. Isn't that right? We'd have to judge about who we really are, because we'd have to explain it. We'd have to demonstrate it, right? We'd have to do that somehow. We wouldn't look at the outward countenance. We wouldn't do that. We'd have to judge each other by how we express ourselves, etc. God has expressed himself. God has expressed himself. These are called the attributes of God. How do we know who God is except he reveals himself to us? And in this psalm, we see four of those expressions or attributes. We see these four attributes of God in this psalm. And the first attribute we see in verses 1 through 6, 
we see that God, He is an all-knowing God, or omniscience. All-knowing. That's what omni, all, science, all, knowledge, all-knowing. That's what omniscience means. The all-knowing God, verses 1 through 6. In verses 7 through 12, we see that He is the ever-present God, the all-present God. Omni, or all-presence. Omnipresence. And then in verses 13 through 18, we see that He is the omnipotent God. The all-powerful God. And then in verse, the last part of this uh, Psalm, 19 through 24, uh, we see that He is the all-holy God. And I thought I was making this word up. I thought omnibenevolent. Or omni, omni-holiness. I thought I was making this up. You know, until I saw it in Geisler. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I thought I was making this up, and then I saw this. I saw this actually in a theology book, the, all, the omni-holiness, the all-holy God. Now, let's look at this for a second, because one of these, this, this passage to us, and I know we got a lot of distractions, but don't let this distract you from knowing who God is. Okie doke. Don't let this distract, don't let anything distract you from knowing who God is. David is going to show us this in terms of his relationship with him. His relationship, and we see this, and when he explains his relationship. Look at verses 1 through 6, because we look at, we see a God who is all-knowing. A God who is all-knowing. And we see this in terms of his personhood. Look at verses 1 through one and 2. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast searched me and known me, Thou hast know, you know my downsittings and my uprisings, you, that you understand my thoughts afar off. Ain't that scary, folks? Ain't that scary? God knows what you're thinking this very moment. I mean, this very moment. God knows exactly what you're thinking this very moment. There's no escaping that. Think about the, you know, as we read the Bible, if we were to read through the whole Bible tonight, we would probably be very tired, number one. Number two, we would look and find out that when it says about God knowing everything, especially in this, from this passage, that God knows every thought that you are experiencing right now or thinking this very moment, and that He has always known it. By the way, when you talk about the omniscience of God, or God knowing all things, He doesn't learn those things. How's that one for you? He's already known it. You know, when we say that God knows everything, you know, you've, you've talked to people who've act, acted like they're know-it-alls, right? They think, well, yeah, yeah, I've got this and i got that, and they, they just act like they know it all. And they don't. Well, God knows it all. And He doesn't, he doesn't arrive at that. He's always known it. He knows all actual situations. And then he knows all possibilities of from variablenesses after that. In other words, okay, uh, this couple here are married. They've loved each other since 15 years of age. That's your testimony, bro. Okay, all right. He knows if you would have married Betty Lou. And he knows all the possibilities of that 
and the ramifications of that. And he doesn't acquire that. He knows it instantly. He knows the actual, and he knows all the possibilities of it. So think about that just for a moment. David is saying to us uh, tonight, he says, you know, by the Spirit of God, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. He knows you intimately. You know, you ever name drop? Oh, yes. I know so-and-so. Oh, yes, I know. I love to do this, too. Oh, yes. I know Hulk Hogan. I do, really. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I really do. Chuck Norris. I mean, he doesn't call me regularly, but uh, I used to work out with Chuck Norris. True. True. I know. See, aren't you impressed? Aren't you impressed? But how about this one? I know God. But here's a cool one. He knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows my down-sittings. He knows my uprisings. He knows my thoughts is right now. He knows me from afar off. He knows me right now. He knows me. Kevin, he knows you. He knows everything about you. It's true. Can't get away from it. Mara, he knows you too. He knows everything about us. And so whatever your name is, whatever, Mr. Titus, he knows you, bro. That's true. He knows everything about us. So you're sitting here and you go, well, you know, wait, I don't know everything, but God does and he knows everything about you. You know my down-sitting, Lord. You know my uprisings. So sometimes we don't give this any thought, but God does. God does. You know my down-sittings, my uprisings. Thou understands my, far, my thoughts from afar. There's no escaping it. And then notice, notice verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. I can't say anything that would surprise God. And how about this one? There's nothing in my life that can surprise God. How's that one for you? God knows it all. God knows it. And so He knows our... He knows my total personhood. He knows my physical state. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, You have compassed my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Look at verse 5. You have set beside me, behind me, before, and laid thy hand upon me. So it's before, behind, beside, and upon. He's a protector. He's got it all. I mean, he's got it. How about this one? He's got it covered. I mean, he's got it covered. This is what God is. This is our God. There is no other God like God. Muhammad or Buddha, nobody can claim this God. And by the way, the God of the Allah, that's not the same God of the Bible. I hate to say any. Oh, yes, Allah means God in Arabic. Yeah, it does. But that's not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God. That God is not the God. That God is not the God. It's a demonic demonic aberration. It's a demonic thing. It is. Sorry, I know it's not a popular thing to say, but that's the truth. 
That is the absolute truth. Our God, the God of the Bible, behind, beside, on top, all over. Hey, sometimes we just do not see it, do we? We don't see it. And like we talked about Sunday, sometimes we feel all alone. We forget that God is there. When he talks about that he is, uh, he, knows, he knows my physical state. He knows everything about it. You, you have your hand on me. And then look at this. He has a total, not only a total, uh, you know, knows me in totality or in my personhood, physical state, but also in my praising heart. Look at verse 6. If that is true, what he just says about God in terms of our life, what should that bring in terms of my life? It brings a tremendous response. Look at the response of David. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain unto it. I can't attain in terms of the totality of it. You're just so wonderful. What a great God we've got. What a great God we've got. I guarantee this. If you know Jesus is your personal Savior, and you go to meet Him uh, through death or the rapture, and we see Him face to face... I guarantee this one thing. You're never going to go high-fiving. You're not going to go, Hey, what's up? Boom! Not going to do that. The man who is closest to the Lord Jesus, arguably the closest man, John the Apostle, in the book of Revelation, when he saw the risen Christ, fell at his feet as like a dead man. Fell at his feet as he was dead. And the Lord came and put his hand on him. I think when we find out how great and magnificent God is, we get the glimpses of it in the Scriptures, but we find out how great and magnificent God is, we will be on our face and we'll be praising God. Such knowledge is too wonderful. How can you know so much? How can you protect me so well? How can you do these things for me? You are such a great God. Such a wonderful God. The question is, do we understand this particular attribute that he knows everything? Do we understand this in our lives? Please, 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 please. God doesn't change. He's another attribute for God is he's immutable. Right? He doesn't change. So if you disbelieve what we're talking about today, you're the poorer for it, not God. You're the poorer for it. If we walk out of here today and we don't realize how great God is in terms of my own personal life, that He has my life, that He protects my life, that He's God and He knows my personhood, He knows my physical state, and I can't praise Him for that, something's wrong with me. I'm thinking about me, not God and how great He is. This is a great God we're talking about. And not only does he, you know, does David show the attribute of the all-knowing God or the omniscient God, but he shows us the attribute of the all-present God or his omnipresence. Look at verses seven through twelve. Look at verses seven through ten. He says, "Where where shall I go from thy spirit, or where can I flee from your presence?" If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave or Sheol, 
You're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell upon the uttermost parts of the sea, you know about that here. You look at the ocean all the time. You're there. If I go to the uttermost parts, you're there. If I go to Mariana's Trench, the deepest part of the Atlantic Ocean, deepest part of the earth, seven miles deep, Mariana's Trench. Seven miles deep. When we fly, we fly about seven miles high. 35,000? We're flying pretty, pretty high up. Isn't that right? Well, just think, that's Mariana's Trench. So you go down to the bottom of Mariana's Trench. Utter dark, thou art there. If I go to the deepest part of the sea, you're there. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go? Where can I go from this? And, this is, and then he says, and he tells us this, he says, even if even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Wow. His om, omnipresence means one thing. I can't run. I can't run. Now we can run, and uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of, of uh, ministry in New York City. And at the... Um, the Port Authority, it has been said regarding the Port Authority, where every bus comes into Port Authority. It's two blocks wide, or two blocks long, the Port Authority in New York City. And uh, maybe some of you know about it. They estimate about a thousand runaways a day hit, port, hit New York in the Port Authority. A day. It's a lot. People are on the run. In the subways of New York City, you can hide. You can go into the subways of New York City and never be found again by another human being. I've walked along the tracks a little bit. I've gone off the platform along the tracks, and then when I look in there, I see mattresses in between and stalactites, and I see sterno cans of people are living down in the subways. <laughs> at 90 cents at that time, now it's 250. You know, it's just amazing to me. You know, people are trying to hide, get lost, get lost in the crowd, get lost in this kind of thing, but not from God. Can't hide from God. You can't do it. Cannot run. And then look at verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night is light about me. Isn't that right? I was listening to a young lady today. She says, I am scared of the dark. I am scared of the dark, but to God, it's light. God doesn't look at the darkness. To, the, to God, it's, it's light. The night is light about me. Yes, the darkness hideth not from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. God is not hidden. We cannot run, and we cannot hide from His presence. We, can run, we can't run and we can't hide. Can't do it. You can't do it, I can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. One time, uh, I call them, you know, the Soviet Union, when they broke up in the 80s. Uh, and you're seeing right now, I want you to know something. Something's happening in, in this world that's taking place right now is that, that Putin wants the Soviet bloc back. 
If we, if we think that that's not his design on this, we're crazy. And he's doing the exact same that Adolf Hitler did. He did the exact same thing that Adolf Hitler did. Adolf Hitler wanted the glory of Germany back, so he invades the Sudetenland, he invades Czechoslovakia, he invades Austria, and nobody did anything about it. Nobody, and this is exactly happening today. This is exactly happening today. And what happens is that, you know, the Soviet Union wants to be back. And they, when the Soviet Union was in there, they used to send up the, uh, the rockets, you know, the big space race. And they called them the cosmonauts, right? As opposed to our astronauts, right? You remember this? Some of you remember this, okay? So they send them up. And I forget, was it Yuri Gagarin or somebody, some cosmonaut, said, said because he went up into space, he went up into, hev- into the heavens, up, I don't know why I would say that, but up into the sky, up into space, I didn't see God, so therefore God doesn't exist. That's what he said. I don't see God, translation from Russian, so God doesn't exist. Uh, that's, that's foolishness. That's pure foolishness. That's absolutely foolish. You cannot, you cannot outgo God. You cannot outrun God. You cannot hide from God. You can't get underneath. In the book of Revelation, during the, during the plagues, when those plagues come down during the book of Revelation, they're going to ask the mountains to fall on top of them to hide from the presence of God and be unsuccessful. Unsuccessful. Can't hide from God. His presence is there. You know, I look at that, and I think to myself, when I look at this idea that God is with me always, and as we talked about that Sunday, God is with you. God is with you. God is there. God is not in something. That's pantheism. But God is everywhere at once. And you know what's really cool? It's not a stripe of God. It's not a part of God that's with you. He's with you in totality. This is the... You say, I can't take it in. No wonder in verse 6, he said, it's so wonderful, I can hardly take it. How can God be in every place at once in its totality? Well, we're finite. That means we have an end. He's infinite. That means He has no end. He's bigger and greater than us. And once we start to grasp that and believe the Scriptures, we're going to start going, what a God I've got. What a great God I've got. And not only does He show us the attributes of that He is omniscient or all-knowing and everywhere at once omnipresent, but He's also all-powerful. He's also all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Wow. Let's look at verses 13 through 18. It's the omnipotence that in procreation... Notice what He says here. You notice what He tells us in this passage, in verse 13. For Thou hast possessed My inward parts. Thou hast covered Me in My mother's womb. I will praise Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Thy works, and that My soul 
knoweth right well. We're praying for expectant mothers. Lori, this is happening in your, in your body, right? This very moment, our God knows that child. Our God knew my grandson being formed. And I watched Kelly as she got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, and the, the expectation of this. But God knows that child. How wonderful is this? And this, this is, we're different than monkeys and we're different than, than Flipper and different than Skippy, the, the kangaroo. They got, our, you know, we got Flipper. They, Australia's got Skippy, you know. I saw Skippy one time untie knots. I don't know how a kangaroo can untie knots, but Skippy did it. You know, I mean, but it's I mean, different because we have a soul. We have a spirit. We also have a body, and this is the beautiful thing, how God knows us. And he says, this is just so wonderful, the the procreation. Look at verses all the way through. He says, my substance was not hid from thee. I was made in in secret and intricately wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unformed. Wow. Wow. You doctors or aspiring doctors or biologists know that when that, when that egg is fertilized, the boom, the full picture of the DNA, the full personhood is right there. It's called the tradition theory. It's called the origin of the soul. The moment that egg is fertilized is the moment there is a human being. That's why I'm against abortion. Why I'm against that? Because that is a human being. That very moment. And God knows it. God knows it. For sure. God knows it for absolutely. He knows this and He's powerful. He's powerful. And then also He's powerful in our salvation. Look at verse 16 again. He says, And then in the book of all my members were written, which are constituted or fashioned. And yet, when none of it... As yet there was none of them. He provides for us. I mean, think about this just for a moment. We were at the breaking of bread here last Sunday. And one of the brothers got up and talked about, before the foundation of the world, God planned that we, a a program for a mankind, anybody, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God planned that. That anybody that would come to His Son and believe on His Son who died on the cross and rose again from the dead, when they believed on Him, they would have everlasting life. Is that the coolest? Is that the most loving? Is that the most caring God you've ever heard about? Isn't it? That... that even in spite of my sin, even in spite of the the sinfulness of my heart and my mind, God so loved me. So loved you. And He thought about that before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Wow. And in the power of the cross, I like it, you don't have to turn there, I'll just turn there for you. And I I look at this passage and I'm blown away because I look at what so many people are trying to say to us today. Trying to tell us today how wise and 
how great and how smart people are, how smart they are. Whether it's a political smart, or whether, oh yes, he graduated from this university, and oh yes, he's got this degree in this. You know, that doesn't count with God. The nations are as a drop in the bucket before God, the Bible says. And I love this passage. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I was talking to a dear sister, and she was saying, I guess I'm surmising that she's a teacher. She says, she says, you know, I'm trying to help these kids to understand that evolution is not the key. It's God's the key. I guess this is in a secular university or a secular high school. And isn't that true? The, wisdom, the world, I mean, if I came to you right now and I said to you, hey, you know, it was really, it's really great being in Miami area. I love it. I just really love it. You know, I was coming from walking across the street there or right across the parking lot. We're living in that guest house. And I was walking. All of a sudden, you know... <laughs> I just, as I was walking, <laughs> and I started, if I really was really trying to, you really saw that I really meant this, and I'm going, <laughs> um, I was, there's like a cloud going around my wrist, <laughs> and there was lightning, <laughs> you know, and then there was, there was all this stuff, and, and all of a sudden, <laughs> there was an explosion, and that's just through the parking lot. This is all happening, walking from that house to the par- through the parking lot to here. And all of a sudden, boom, there was an explosion. Casio. Made in Japan. You would say, Chris, you need a checkup from the neck up. You say, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Yeah, but you get Carl Sagan, who has a PhD from Cornell and taught at Cornell, telling us that very thing that we exploded from some atoms. Where did the atoms come from? It's a big bang theory. It's a big joke theory. God spoke it. He's powerful. He's powerful. And the salvation that God provides for mankind, the world looks at it and says that that's foolish. How foolish is that? How ignorant is that? I like the psalmist and he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Our God is a great God. And He's all-powerful and then He's a sustaining God. Look at back in Psalm 139, verse 17. Verse 17, He sustains us. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. God thinks about you. And His thoughts about you are precious. Think about that. The Almighty God of the universe is thinking about you. 
and his thoughts about you are as the sand of the sea, and his thoughts about you are precious. We here in this area ought to understand what sand of the sea means. When we go to, my, go to Hollywood Beach and we look at the sand, we say, man, isn't that unbelievable? We go like this, we don't do it too far because we don't want to blow on somebody else. And you've walked across the thing in 18 mile an hour winds and it stings your ankle. As sand of the sea and his thoughts about you are like the sand of the sea and they're precious. I love it when somebody once said in a gospel track, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you. Think about that for a moment. We have this view, I mean, I had this view for years from my prior religious background that God hated me. That if I just messed up, I'm done. God thinks about us. God loves us. Oh, He doesn't condone our sin. Don't get me wrong here. He doesn't condone. The other passages in the Bible tells us that. But He loves us. He thinks about us. And He sustains us. He sustains us. <laughs> when I awake, I am still with you. When I awake. I, it, listen. Some of you are ready to go to sleep right now. It's true. It's true. Preacher sees everything. It's true. You can see the preacher sees everything, especially after some of that food. I don't know how. I don't know how you, you know, don't have this kind of thing. Maybe you should just do a fruit night or something. I don't know. But it's just too good of food. And everybody's, how are you doing? You know. And when I awake after your sermon... You know, but in the morning, we wake up in the morning. Isn't that right? How many of us say, thank you, Lord, for that great night's sleep? Thank you for sustaining me through that night. And when I awake, I'm, you're still with me. It's the same. God hasn't abandoned it. It wasn't some awful dream. It's an absolute fact. And God tells us that. How powerful is our God? There is no other. There is no other. There's no other God greater than this God. This is how He has revealed Himself to us. It's not the Greek gods, you know. If you don't make some kind of offering to this Poseidon, they'd wipe you out. Right? Not this God. He sent His Son to get wiped out on your behalf. I love it what somebody once said. Bruce Shelley said this in the opening of his great church history. That Christianity has as its its center, at the center, the death of its God. The humiliation of its God. That Jesus Christ would die on my behalf. Nobody... No other religious system ever is going to give you that. Nobody! But Jesus Christ died. Nobody. Nobody. Name it. I was in Wall Street one time, and I was preaching. And the smug, smug guys from 
Princeton and Yale and the suits, you know, and all these MBAs and all this kind of stuff. They were kind of laughing at me, which is okay. When you start laughing at God, though, it's not so okay. It's a big mistake. And I made a mistake. I got a little angry. And I said to them in front of the stock exchange, this is when you could be there. You can't be there now because they got it all cordoned off. But in front of the stock exchange with the sketchboard, I yelled, <laughs> I yelled at these guys. I said, I, I said, I want to ask you a question. What do you got that's better than this? What do you have that's better than the forgiveness of God? A God who intensely loves you, demonstrated that love by dying, sending His Son to die on a cross. What do you got that's better than this? Tell me now! No hecklers. Not a peep. Not a peep. They just stood there. I'm not kidding you. We're talking a big crowd too. Just stood there. Because there is nothing better than this. There is no one greater than Him. Nobody. There is no other. There is no other. And then we see... In the balance of this, we see in the balance 19 through 24, we see that he is all, he's the all holy God, or his omniholiness. <laughs> Holiness that leads to the jud- to judgment of God. God hates evil. Look at this, verses 19 and 20. It says, Surely thou shalt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men, for they speak against you wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. How foolish is that? How foolish is that? I was at Rutgers University. I went up to a man. I'm surmi- he was older, so I'm surmising maybe he was a professor. He worked there. So I don't know. But I went up to him and gave him. I said, hey, just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. And he looked at me. He said, I hate God. <laughs> I said, well, he loves you. He loves you. But you can't put your fist in front of God's face for very long. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die and to take the punishment for mankind's sins. If we spurn that, we have to pay for our own. And the judgment of God will fall on those who reject Him. No questions about it. And that's exactly what he's saying here. God's hatred for evil. And then also notice this, and this is the thing that's really important for, I think, for God. Holiness not only leads to the judgment of God, God's hatred for evil, but holiness that leads to loyalty of us towards God. Our hatred of evil. Our hatred of evil. (laughs) I'm not saying this is the right way to say do this. But I had a friend of mine that was sitting in a booth with another friend, two evangelists, and they were, they were eating something at a, at a diner. And the guy, next, the guy next to him, the next booth over, and how sometimes they have the little wall in the next booth over, right? This guy was swearing like crazy at God. 
And the one guy, he just snapped. <laughs> he did. The one evangelist just snapped. He couldn't take it anymore. He looks over, he stands up, he looks over at the guy across the way. He says, you want to keep talking like that, or do you want to step outside right now? <laughs> you want to keep blaspheming God? You want to step outside and we'll settle it right now. What do you say? He just couldn't take it anymore. The loyalty and holiness of God. Now, I'm not saying that, that you know, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Maybe it would have been a better way of handling that. But you can understand this man's heart. You can see where his heart was in the sense of, don't talk about God this way. One time I was, maybe me and my friend Fred, that was his name, are cut from the same cloth. We were at St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City a number of years ago. And uh, I went up and passed some literature to a guy. And I said, hey, just wanted to let you know that Jesus loves you. That Jesus and every vile word came out of his mouth regarding Jesus Christ. Ah! I said, no, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't want to say that. Boom! More came out. I, got, I, I, I just couldn't help it. I went right into his face. I, and I did this. This is like not wise. I just went right up to him and I put my finger in his chest and I said, that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. You're a fool for saying that. You're rejecting the God who sent His Son to die on the cross for you and you're talking to Him this way? Stupid. I, I just couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. Our loyalty... We can't be loyal to a God who intensely loves us, who is with us all the time, who cares about us more than we care about ourselves, who loves us and is with us, is high above us and beside us, in front of us, behind us, and we can't be loyal to Him when He is so in intensely loyal to us. Something's wrong with us. Something's wrong with us. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Our loyalty. And then we see the holiness that leads to a cleansing. God's cleansing from evil. Notice what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How many have prayed that prayer? You don't have to raise your hands. Praying this prayer, Lord, see if there are any wicked way in me. Guide me. Show me. Cleanse me. What I love about God, what I love about how great God is, is that God forgives. God can cleanse. God is the God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance. He forgives. And I love this part too, and He forgets. As far as east is from the west, so far I have removed your transgressions from you. 
and he, doesn't, he chooses not to remember them anymore. I know that God's all-knowing. He makes a decision not to remember them. They're in the deepest sea. And as someone once said, don't go fishing. Stop fishing. The devil's going to bring them up. You did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. They're under the blood. Be gone. It's over. I'm forgiven. One thing I love, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. It's way in the back, way to the right, near the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 1. I want you to notice this. This particular passage, I, uh, I'm wearing out in my Bible. I don't know about you. I wear this out. I look at this all the time. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is for believers, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the what? The propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. In your face, Calvinist. I had a hard time with the word propitiation. I don't know how to say it. I think it's just recently I know how to pronounce it. In the King James, it's like synonym, you know, the stuff you sprinkle on toast. Similar like that. You know, I go, I don't know how to say this. I finally found out what it means. It means a satisfying sacrifice. There's nothing you can do to satisfy God. It's what He has done through His Son that satisfies. What Jesus Christ did on the cross satisfies. And what I love about with God, it's over. He does not hold it. It's completely washed. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sing it with me. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is no other. There's no other actions that God could do. There is no other God like Him. We look at His omniscience, that He knows it all. He's everywhere at once. He's all-powerful. And He's all-holy. This is the God that David is telling us about. And this is the God who we serve. <laughs> Folks, why should the Pentecostals have all the fun? You know, I'm serious. 
You know, we look like we've been weaned on lemons, right? You know, oh yes, isn't that marvelous? Thank you. That's just wonderful, you know. I'm, oh yes, thank you so much. I mean, okay, if that's truly your temperament, that's okay. But I want you to know something. If you get excited about the Miami Dolphins and you scream and holler about them or the, you know, the Buccaneers, if you're like the Florida or the Gators or University of Miami or what, if you, yes, if you've ever said that once, and you don't get excited about our God? Shame on you. If there's anything to get excited about, it's this. It really is. Father, we thank you so much for your love that never quits. Your love that ever sustains who you are what you mean to us. How great are you. We're so unworthy. But as the hymn writer has said, and and the writer John writes about his experience about being unworthy, and there's only one who is worthy, and that's you. And worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy are you, O God, of our praise. And one of the things that's amazing to me is that you desire my fellowship with you. So much so that you sent your Son to pay for my sin. That I can have that fellowship with you. And relationship. Thank you for being our God. And thank you that there is no other... We say this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.